0: Last week, we looked at how we have been given the fullness, how we have been made full in Christ. This week, we look at how we are so sorely tempted to overlook the fullness of Christ in us and do some filling ourselves. So again, we pick up in Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 to 23. Right before this text, Paul was encouraging the church, letting her know that they've been brought into the family of God through their baptism, that, that through baptism they have been buried with Christ in death and brought back to life in Christ by God. And though this is true of the Christian, we, we aren't very good at dying to self, are we? We're not very good at, at being on the outside, at not participating in, in some way, or at least not trying to participate in some way. We're continually trying to add to the fullness of Christ. Paul is addressing this very human, very normal, very dangerous inclination in our text this morning. Let us read the word of the Lord. Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 to 23. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. Such regulations, indeed, have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Thus ends the reading. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. There were a lot of things in 2020 that drove me mad. I'm sure all of us can relate, but there was one thing that drove me batty that may not have affected you to the degree that it affected me. McDonald's came out with a new series of commercials to push one of their signature burgers, the Quarter Pounder. They found a man with an alluringly deep but rugged voice to speak over tantalizing images of the burger. They were short and to the point. And in one of the commercials, the voice tells us, and I'm going to say the words he said, but they did not hire this voice to do that particular voiceover. So just imagine that. If someone were to ask you... uh, If someone asks you... If you want your quarter pounder's cheese on the top of the patty, or right below it, your answer is yes. And then we would hear the tagline for this new advertising campaign, it's perfect. Made perfecter. Anyone else see those commercials? Oh man, you're lucky. They drive anyone else nuts? All right, I got two. I got two. One of them was my son. I think it's because it drove me nuts, and he's like, Dad, just get off of it. (laughs) I mean, if your predisposition is to be a grammar Nazi, this is going to twist you in knots, right? Perfecter? Perfect made perfecter? That's not a word. Get off my screen and, and out of my head with that garbage. But honestly, it wasn't the intentional grammar faux pas that got me riled up with the premise. It was the premise of these commercials. What got me riled up is, is that by definition, something that is perfect cannot be made more perfect. If it is perfect, it's complete. It has no errors or cracks or chips or failings. It is the best addition of itself. It is flawless. It is perfect. You can't make it perfecter. You can't improve upon perfection. Perfection. But man, we are very good at trying to do just that. In our text this morning, the Apostle Paul warns the Colossian church about a few pitfalls, a few areas that they need to be wary of. People, whether they believe in Jesus or not, have a tendency to try to add to the fullness of Christ. All right, God, we say, you know, you are perfect, and Jesus is perfect, and and Jesus lived perfectly, and he died perfectly for me, and he rose perfectly, and when I believe in him, even though I do not deserve it and have done many, many things that disqualify me from it, or should disqualify disqualify me from it, I have been graciously gifted his perfection in your eyes. We confess this with our mouths, and then we turn around and disprove it with our thoughts, words, and our deeds. Because there's a part of us that struggles with not being able to contribute to the fullness that we have been given in Christ. The perfection in the eyes of God that has been bestowed upon us. We want to do our part. We want to play our role. Some role, almost any role, but a role. And in trying to do our part, in trying to earn a piece of this perfection, we are trying to make perfect, perfecter. One of the ways that Paul points this out in our text this morning is the opening verse. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to religious festivals, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. We're very good at setting up expectations for Christian brothers and sisters, right? If you're a Christian, we kind of know how we're supposed to look and and how we're supposed to carry ourselves there are words like there are certain word, these are the words you know that you're supposed to know these are the concepts that we expect you to be able to grasp these are the questions that you're allowed to ask these are the 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 areas that you're supposed to find interesting or engaging this is the way that you're supposed to dress this is the way we this is when we expect you in the building and this is the the, the service that we expect you to do outside the building and then these are the sins that we find the least offensive Karen and I were watching a show on Amazon Prime, and in one of the seasons, the family of the show centers around spent the summer in the Catskills at a rich person's summer camp. The main character loves the camp. She's the best at, at pretty much all of the activities at the camp, and the whole time you're watching these scenes, while funny, they just reek of privilege and, and insider knowledge and almost make you uncomfortable. And all of this comes to a head when the main character's friend surprises her with a visit from the city. The friend is not rich. She grew up in a rough area in New York City, she's never been to the Catskills. She has no idea what a rich person's summer camp looks like and in order to fit in she grabs a plunger so that people think that she belongs there and walks around acting like she belongs and no one questions her. There's a scene that is wonderful and hilarious and hit me right in the stomach. The friend walks the camp in worn out dirty clothes with a plunger over her shoulder and she just wanders through all of the activities that these rich people are doing with a look of wonder, shock, and like disgust. Like, what are you doing? This is ridiculous. You look ridiculous. You sound ridiculous. because She's not part of the inner circle. And the things the inner circle people are doing would, would frankly embarrass anyone who wasn't a part of it or who was a part of it, but stepped back and and looked at it with eyes no longer clouded by the haze of this is just what we do. And so though she's on the outside, though she's dirty and unkempt and vulgar, she's the one that you relate to, as this showed us such a fantastic job of showing off the silly elitism of the inner circle. All too often the church is like the rich people in the camp in the In order to belong, we expect you to look the way that we do, act the way that we do, talk the way that we do, and value the things that we do. Now, if those values are based in Scripture, then yeah, baby, like, that's great. That's what we're talking about. But if they're based on anything other than Scripture, we have a problem. It's not okay. This is legalism. And it's a trap. It's a pit. It's a snare that we can easily find ourselves caught up in. In legalism, we are adding our own set of qualifications to the qualifications that Christ has already set out. We're expecting people to add to the fullness that has already been given them in Christ with a set of principles and expectations that God did not lay out. But we thought were pretty important anyway because they make us comfortable and they make us feel better about ourselves. And legalism... The perfect, attempting to be made perfecter, is a dangerous tool of manipulation. We want to belong to a club, we want to be part of a group, we are easily manipulated. C.S. Lewis, in a guest lecture at King's College in 1944, said that the desire to be in the inner circle, whatever that inner circle may be, is one of the great permanent mainsprings of human action. Of all passions, the passion for the inner ring is most skillful in making a man who is not yet a very bad man do very bad things. Attempting to add to the fullness of Christ is a very bad thing. It's not okay. And pressuring people to do it to make them feel like if they are on the outside of the circle, like they aren't fully part of the family until they do. one of the questions you often hear most when related to peer pressure is if all your friends told you to jump off a bridge, would you? And we would think that the answer to that is no, but from experience at a certain school in the Midwest on very hot days, on certain bridges over certain rivers, I can tell you that as a person even very scared of certain heights, bridge jumping is a thing. And it has been done by many hesitant and fearful individuals for the purpose of being included in a group. That's not just a Midwest thing, I've heard stories about bridge jumping from our camp on the other side of the Delaware and Tuscarora, like, it's not just those crazy people in the middle of the country. It happens all over. Let us not, as the church, ask anyone to bridge jump or make them feel like they need to walk around with a plunger or force them to understand a certain vocabulary or dress in a certain way or act a particular way in order to feel welcome among among fellow Christians. We're so good at putting up barriers with our expectations. Let us be excellent at tearing those barriers down. Paul moves on from warning about legalism to warning about worshiping angels and delighting in false humility. These are yet other ways that we try to attain more than God has already given us. Why would we seek answers from angels? when we have been given all we need to know from the master and creator of the angels. And in mentioning false humility, Paul is referencing asceticism, which is self-discipline that one imposes upon oneself for religious purposes. Though I recognize that the content of the book, and so also the movie, is quite offensive to biblical truth, the clearest depiction of asceticism that I can remember in pop culture was that of Paul Bettany's character in The Da Vinci Code. You may know him as Vision, but I knew him as Silas for a little while. He played a man, I can't remember if he was classified as a monk or what, but he was a man with a horrible past that couldn't get over it and was constantly trying to make amends for his actions. He was a tool, a weapon really, of the Catholic Church in the movie, and there's a scene where we see him whipping himself. This, along with the terrible things that he does as a tool of his superiors, are measures of self-discipline that he uses to try to make himself worthy of God, worthy of of forgiveness. Do we recognize how absolutely horrible and twisted this is? By making people feel unworthy of the grace of God because of what their past life contained or because of how unchristian they look is an incredible offense against the gospel. The gospel that says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. The gospel that says all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. The gospel that says if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive you your sins. The gospel that says for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. This is the gospel and it is free from the qualifications that legalism and asceticism put on it. And it comes from the lips of God, denying the need for the mysticism of angelic communication. And let me tell you what, even as someone who has grown up in the church, who knows the vocabulary, who is school, at a seminary, trained to proclaim the words of Christ. As someone who grew up in a Christian house, was and is loved well by my parents, and is surrounded by people who love me and respect me, I still need to hear the words of the gospel proclaimed to me without the taglines of legalism and asceticism. I need to hear that God loves me even when I don't look the way I'm supposed to, talk the way that I'm supposed to, or act the way that I'm supposed to. And I need to hear that the past that I have, as pristine as it may look on the outside, I know how dirty and stained it is with the sin of my own hands. I know how much I've messed up. I know that I need to hear the gospel, the true gospel. Not the traditions and expectations that we have put in place that say, don't handle that, don't taste that, don't drink that, don't get that tattoo, don't listen to that music, don't live in that area of town. These are the lies of legalism that many have embraced as Christian truths. And Paul is clearly speaking against it in our text this morning, for as he writes in verses 20 to 23, since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations, have, such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Paul is not saying to abandon God's laws, though I know it can be tempting to read it that way. He's saying that we need to stop trying to add to them. It is obeying the law of God that holds value in restraining sensual indulgence. Not the rules and commands and directions and traditions and unspoken understandings that we have come up with. When we look at some of the traditions that the church has held through the years, you kind of get the sense of a gated community. It's it's like we've protected hope or or kept hope behind the gates, and, and you need to know the password to get the gates open and experience hope in Christ. The truth is that Christ is the gates of hope. Hope is not held captive behind the gates of man. Christ is the way, the root, the gate to hope. When I need hope, when I'm hurting, and when, I, when my sin is so clear before me, when I'm recognizing how much I feel alone and like I don't fit in, I don't need some tradition to encourage me. For tradition tastes of ash if it is not given life by the word of God. Don't give me tradition, give me hope, give me Jesus, give me the gospel. I need the gospel that tells me that it knows I couldn't do what I needed to do. The truth, the true words of God that tells me that I'm a sinner. But that God loves sinners and that God loves sinners so much that no matter the sins of their history, the sins of the present or the sins of their future, he loves them. That is not to say that he approves of the sin, but to say that he loves them in spite of it. And because he loves them so much, he sent his son to die in their place. He sent Jesus to die in our place, that our sin would be paid for. That through faith in Him, we would be clothed with Him. That through belief in Jesus, we would be brought into relationship with the Father. Brought into the family. Brought into the inner circle that we have longed for. Faith is the only qualification that God has for us in fellowship with Him. And that's the one that He authored. And He perfected it. For through Jesus, we have been given faith. That through faith in Jesus, we would be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. Through faith in Jesus, we are clothed with his perfection. And as we live in relationship with God, as we live as part of the family, God is continually shaping us to be more like him, more like the people he wants us to be Throughout, through the the word, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He is the one that gives us the strength and desire to follow his law. He is the one that pushes us to avoid the things that hurt our heart and our spirit. It is God's law written on our hearts and his spirit alive in our lives that holds value in restraining sensual indulgence. And though we are so good at failing in doing all that God asks of us, one day we will be made new and no longer fight against the old nature that lives inside of us. I'm so thankful that Jesus came. Today is Palm Sunday. We haven't spent any time, really, we did a lot of singing, but as far as the service goes, we haven't spent, or sermon goes, we haven't spent a lot of time talking about how our Savior rode in Jerusalem on a donkey. We haven't talked about how the people waved palm branches and called, or fulfilled prophecy by calling, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What we have talked about is how we are each in need, or each a part of that crowd, waving those branches and calling Hosanna, for Hosanna means to save, to rescue. As we think of the things that we need rescuing from, the traps of tradition and expectation that we fall into, the snares of the sin in our life that are so good at entangling us, let us join together with the crowd in Jerusalem crying out, Hosanna. Praise God for the one who saves. Praise God for the one who rescues. Praise God for the one who looks on us with love despite our scars and our shame and the plunger slung over our shoulder. Praise God for the gates to hope. Praise God for the one who, through faith, has given us his perfection. And thank God we can do nothing to make ourselves perfecter. Amen.